Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, Psalm 19, verse 14. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm going to be bringing you homeschool insights and delights from our household, where God dwells in every nook and cranny. And there's a lot of them now that we're cleaning out our house again. Here, life could do with being more ordinary as we settle into all the changes that have been wrought upon us in just a few short months. Each week, I cajole and tempt an unsuspecting, hugely fascinating person to join me for part of the show. I offer them social media exposure, and they come willingly to talk about aspects of family life, which usually relate to homeschooling and always speak straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. As my guest today, I've managed to snag a fellow Brit, Melissa Avila, who has had her own podcast for years, just like me, is coming to talk to us about ideas on what to do with your tots under five. I'm going to be talking about what I did with my children when they were all young, the benefit of television and the stabilizing effect routines had on our unique household many still carried over into their independent lives today. I'm drinking Keurig coffee. I love that machine, even though it is a little more expensive than the cafetiere, and eating a piece of homemade cake. So let's get going. Having four children under six years old was a challenge, but you know, I'd shrugged on the cloak of offspring so gradually Six years is a long time, really, that I barely noticed how drastically my life had changed. My experience with a growing family was that we expanded gently and in no way resembled those friends and guests of mine who adopt or foster several children at a time, turning their childless households into a maelstrom in one fell swoop. When I was pregnant with my firstborn, my colleagues at work told me my life was going to change dramatically in a few months or just a few short weeks, and I'd respond with all the intelligence of a stapler, that for the first few months, all he's going to do is lie there. It's not as if she'll move when I put her down to sleep. See, I didn't know whether I was going to have a boy or a girl. And that was true while I learned to have another demanding presence in the house. I'd not taken into consideration the feedings, nappy changes and interrupted nights. As the months drew on, he began to inch, this is once he was born and I knew it was a boy, and then scoot and then crawl and take tentative steps. Then another baby came along and another and another until I had four under six without batting an eyelid, or so it seemed. My mobility had been modified with the advent of my first child, and to be honest, it didn't intensify with the added few. Our car morphed into a van, though. We traded in the BMW, a sad, sad day. And I was able to go out for milk without having to figure out a problem like this one. A man has to get a fox, a chicken and a sack of corn across a river. He has a rowboat, 
and it can only carry him and one other thing. If the fox and the chicken are left together, the fox will eat the chicken. If the chicken and the corn are left together, the chicken will eat the corn. How does he do it? I used to love those kinds of problems, and I haven't worked it out for you. You can work it out for yourselves. I, with my children, just took them all along with me, a major field trip that killed an hour and gave us all an outing beyond the four walls of home. During a period of time spanning 10 years, I've written and talked about what I did with Tots Under Five, and on meeting my guest today, Melissa Avila, I thought, what else can I bring to the kitchen table? <clears throat> so I put on my thinking cap and, as usual, found something new to spout on about. And here are a couple of things we did right from the start that worked really well for me while I and my under fives grew into the people we are today. The first one forced us upon our own resources and set the tone for the raising part of our close-knit homeschool family. The second gave us purpose and security, something young people need. In my post-pregnant state, while my younger brother was visiting his first nephew, who was just six weeks old, I told he who knew nothing about child raising my plan as if by having a six-week infant, I now knew it all. I was being his big sister. My plan as if by having a six-week infant, I now knew it all. I was being his big sister, but my plan was, while I was showing off my superwoman prowess, and holding down a demanding full-time job in a country he had only dreamed of living in. I was married to a real-life cowboy and friends with Sioux Indians, no less. I don't have time to tell you how many hours my brother and I had spent traipsing across the prairie in our wagon on a Saturday morning in London, fighting off the Indians and building campfires. The intrepid cowboy and his wife. In other words, in his eyes, I was all that, so had a lot to live up to during the first of his many visits to the Wild West. And my plan? Well, I told him I wasn't going to allow the television to be a babysitter. And he sagely said, you're setting yourself up for a lot of work. I was, but it was well worth the effort. From the get-go, television was not a part of our children's lives at home. They watched 30 minutes of Sesame Street at their babysitters just before I picked them up in the evening. They napped while she watched her soaps. But at home, neither my blue-eyed cowboy or I spent much time in front of the television. Maybe Johnny Carson later in the evening if we were still awake. Our older children under six were allowed to watch a film on Saturday before lunch as their nap time. And when they grew up a little more, they all watched a film on Friday evening. Rarely was <clears throat> television itself watched. But curiously, despite their controlled exposure to the medium, my children still had watching television on the top of their re recreation list or was that just their wish list the four of them did things together instead of wasting time in front of the box they cleaned out cupboards shone windows natter to family members mopped floors but seriously they played together because they had to they were together 24 7 and when freed from the restraints of formal school they made movies played babies devised magic trips tricks, flung themselves out of trees for superhero stunts, with parental supervision, of course, made mud soup in the rain and called it superlata, waded in ponds on the pretext of fishing for tadpoles, grew vegetables from seed and many other carefree and wild activities, far more engaging for the young mind than brain-numbing television with all its commercial appeal. Later, when only a couple were under five, 
helpless baby animals were brought home from the animal shelter, and they all valiantly agreed to wake up at all hours to bottle-feed blind squirrels and raccoons around the clock. But still, the television was rated as the number one recreation in our house. During our morning bike rides, I talked to my oldest, probably age 10 by this time, about other forms of recreation he may enjoy, and he insisted, as if he were an expert, that there isn't anything quite like television. He enjoyed it the best when he was allowed to. Perhaps it was special because it was a treat. Like a man with a sore tooth who has to keep worrying it, I persisted, all in the name of good conversation skills. I asked him if he had to make a choice between going to work on a set at the theatre, ice skating with a friend, or watching a movie on television, what would it be? Theatre was his prompt response. I might have guessed that. But television still rated as the number one pastime, so it had to be in a special category all of its own. Pages don't have to be turned. The imagination doesn't have to be engaged. Paint doesn't have to be brushed on. Nails don't need to be driven in. No straining of the brain to enjoy a TV programme. Okay, so I can buy into that. There are times when one just has to switch off. Sitting and staring at the sky or a blank wall does it for me, but then I'm British. But don't even let me get started on commercials. Those marketing geniuses are every parent's nightmare in in consumerism, and before long, everyone is buying into the message that without that particular something, your life is dull. When allowed to watch a smattering of TV, my young children demonstrated their memorization skills, picking up the advertising lingo and running through the house saying, it's so good, so deliciously good, you can't just have one. Reciting a truth about Pringles. My youngest son, all of eight, once complained to me that he couldn't think of a thing to ask for for his birthday because we never go shopping and we don't let him watch commercials. How am I supposed to know what I want when I don't know what's out there to want, he lamented. There were times when the notion of not having to deal with noisy, creative children was attractive, and I handed them over to the electronic babysitter in the living room. But even today, they prefer a cup of coffee and a biscuit in my office over a silent staring match at a flat screen on a wall. Well, as I said earlier, I have a fellow Brit on my show this week. Although not a homeschooler, her ideas about how mums can make the most of playtime with their tots under five are simple and fun for any mum at any time. As long as you have tots around, of course, well, if you don't have your own in your house, you can borrow your neighbours or be an aunt. Melissa Avila is a former teacher, a mother of three boys and a military wife who specialises in delivering early childhood play information from practitioners and experts into the hands of of parents and carers to improve their under five play opportunities. Melissa has been blogging since 2007, sharing forgotten play activities, promoting discussion and community to encourage parents to have fun with their children intentionally and to make choices about play the way we remembered them from our childhood. Melissa has a collection of Play-Doh masterpieces only a mum could love, And she has a weekly radio show which you can listen to while soaking up her great accent and getting some hands-on tried-and-tested ideas to keep your under-fives amused. She's written articles and play activities for Blissfully Domestic, Steady Mum and Mum Active. 
She's worked as a discussion leader on Denver Mums Like Me and supports Brit Mums. But first, before we talk to Melitza, it's time for me to go on a break. So replenish your cuppa and come back to get a double shot of English accents with Melitza Avila of Raising Playful Tots and me. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Melissa, welcome to my show. Thank you, thank you. It's nice to be here. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and um, what you do and your business. And I know you do um, a show about... Tots, the under five. So give us a little bit of background. Okay, well, my name is Melissa and I do a show called Raising Playful Tots and it's all about ideas for mums to make the most of their playtime with their children that are under five. Mm -hmm. And so we generate lots of ideas and it's just discussion as well because I found that when I talk to friends, we want to have conversations about play and things that are going on, things that are in the media. We talked about baby Einstein recently and other things that we just want to be able to talk about, but there's not really an opportunity to do it. And so I managed to do that through uh, my show, Raising Playful Tots. I, my background is teaching. I'm a trained teacher and I did that for some time before I got married and had children of my own. And now I'm an at-home parent and my last child has just gone to school. Mm-hmm. I have three boys mm-hmm. um, to keep me company and that keeps me um, Running around and in a very loud house, let's say. Yeah, yeah. So you have a total of three boys, but one of them has just started school? Yeah, the last one has just started school, so all three of them are now in school. Oh, all of them are in school. Okay, so yeah. where did they start? At the kindergarten? They started with a nursery, mm-hmm. going maybe a morning a week or so they never went full time because I wanted to spend as much time as I could with them at home Mm -hmm. and uh, over time they've increased the time that they're in and the last one has just started school so he they did go to kindergarten and then they progressed on to you know first grade and and so on you don't call it first grade there though do you no but they went to first grade when we were 
in the States because oh, we did our schooling there. And mm -hmm. because my husband is in the military, we were in American schools whenever we were overseas. So, but, yeah, so we do the same. Okay, so tell me where you've traveled then. Well, we started off in Italy, and that's where we were for six years. Mm -hmm. And then we were in Oregon for a time, and then Colorado. And then we've just come back here. All right. And so where's here? You're in England, but whereabouts in England? We're in the north of England, um, close to Leeds, so in the north of England, about midway up on the left-hand side. Mm -hmm. So where are you from? I'm from the south. I'm from Suffolk, which is the big fat bit on the right-hand side, as okay. I say. Um, about two hours from London, the capital city. And so, yeah, that's where I was born and raised. Okay. So you met your husband in England? Yes, we did. Um, we met there, got married there. We stayed there for a couple of years and we left the month after September 11th and went to Italy then and stayed there for six years. So, yeah, I I had my first and second child in rural Italy. Oh, so really? that was fun. Yeah. Yeah. So do they speak Italian? They don't. Um, but we we had a lot of fun when we were over there. And I think that's where I really found my joy for looking at these young children and finding different ways to play with them because it was very rural. Internet was spotty and hardly there. Television was the same and we couldn't understand much of it anyway. Mm -hmm. And so we spent a lot of time together as a family mm -hmm. and made sure that we were playing together and doing activities that kept us connected and, and strong. So so what kind of activities did you were you doing? Did Oh, wait a minute. Before I do that, did they go to school in Italy too? Um, they did, but they went to an American school because okay. we were attached to the base. Okay. Um, so did you live on the base or did you live off the base? We lived off the base because we wanted to have the full experience of being in another country. Mm -hmm. It's very easy when you are in the military to be caught up in with all the military f facilities to mm -hmm. be just as we can call it a little America in another country. Yeah. And while that's good for some things, it's, you know, you've come all that way to experience the country. I think it's a real shame if you can't really just do that. Yeah. So we lived away from the base at least. We like to live at least half an hour because then we're out of, we can't just nip to the base for everything. We have to really engage with where we are and, and get to know our neighbours. Yeah, well, I've, I've spoken to a, not very many military homeschooling mums, but every time I ask them, do they live on the base? They, they say, no, they don't live on the base. So who lives yeah. on the bases anymore? Well, lots of people yeah. do. They prefer it. And for some jobs, it's a requirement that they need to be close at hand and, and be available. Mm -hmm. So some people don't have the choice. They, their jobs and their career fields demand that they do do that. Yeah. And so I think some medical fields, it's like that. And I would imagine there's going to be some other yeah. places that are like that. And some people actually like the camaraderie of just having a little America that's there. And then they like to leave it and go somewhere else, but then come back to it. So yeah. everybody's different, I guess. Yeah. Well, so I'm glad you liked um, Italy because my parents used to take us camping in Italy. We used to go just um, maybe one day's journey south of Rome. Um, ah. I can't remember what the name of the place was, but anyway, it was by the it was by the sea. It was on the um, Aegean Sea. So, whereabouts were you in Italy? 
We're in the northeast of Italy, just mm-hmm. above Venice, about mm-hmm. an hour north of Venice mm-hmm. um, there. And it was it was really nice. It was flat, mm-hmm. which was very similar to where I'd come from in East Anglia, which is always also very flat. Yeah. But it was right at the bottom of the Dolomite Mountains. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you had this complete flat and then all of a sudden this huge mountain that was in your background mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. So it was lovely because you could go straight up to the mountains in the summer and escape the horrendous heat that would come Mm -hmm. and also in the winter you could go up if you wanted to and do the skiing or climbing or whatever you wanted to do there so it was great Mm -hmm. and so did you do skiing and climbing Uh, we're not into doing the skiing and the climbing we like the summer part where we would go up there and um, we love the scenery of seeing it but it was it was great to just be in that region I'm sure if we'd stayed longer and had our children um bigger we would have done it but at the time I just couldn't imagine taking young children up the side of a mountain I know people do it but for me I I wouldn't be able to do it I wanted them to be older (laughs) yeah yeah so what did you do with your young children how old were they in in um, Italy because you said you had two of them there so they were young yes yeah we had them I mean we had them up to I think four five was the oldest one and then the other one would have been two my younger one would have been two at the time and so we we did lots of different things one of our favorite activities was to go walking the italians are love to walk and they love to shop uh what's the word when you don't shop for things but what's that oh so um window shopping window shopping thank you they love to window shop and we didn't really get that we we weren't used to that but people would invite you to go window shopping and you would go and there'd be all these people and you'd think is there something going on am I missing something Mm -hmm. but they just like to walk around it was something that they like to do Mm -hmm. just walk and talk and enjoy and so we got used to doing that and it was very popular to do in our village Mm -hmm. you would go out and you would just walk around the village and you would meet lots of people and you would see lots of things because there's lots of wildlife and all sorts of things that were going on so we did lots of walks like that also there was volks marches which came from i think it must be germany with a name like that mm-hmm. and you did the same thing you had five kilometer ten kilometer walks that you could do with other families in the area and it was all signposted and, and during the week you could join in on these volks marches and mm-hmm. walk in different places so you got to see different parts of italy by doing that too mm-hmm. so did you walk a lot in in your home in east anglia um, we didn't actually, because there are just other things that you could do. But in Italy, it just seemed to lend itself to be able to do that. It yeah. was beautiful yeah. countryside yeah. and the opportunity to just kind of stop and talk to each other in a way that you just didn't do in the UK. Mm-hmm. People were very friendly and there weren't a lot of young children. And so the Italians were very happy to see young families with young children and they would hijack you and want to talk and love on the children for a while <laughs> so in the village you say they they would invite you window shopping so you talk about a village and i'm just trying to imagine how many shops there would be well we would go into the town oh, to be able to do town. it so okay. we would walk around where we are and you'd get to know the certain people that were there and then they would invite you into the local town oh, and okay. you know you would have something to eat maybe or something to drink and then you would go for a walk and do things that were there too mm-hmm. um yeah, there were parks and things like that that were locally and uh, that you could do. But we also did our own activities at home. So mm-hmm. I was very much a hands-on mum 
doing everyday activities with the kids at home. So we had Play-Doh that we made and we made biscuits or cookies and at home. And we did all these things from scratch because we like to pour and scoop and do all of those different types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really into not having batteries and electronics Mm -hmm. that was really important to me that we actually did activities together and I felt that when you had those things it separated us Mm -hmm. and so um, I made a conscious effort to not do that and we had the television was behind um, a cabinet door Mm -hmm. so it wasn't the big elephant in the room that you noticed and so the children just got used to playing the activities and doing the things that we did together as a family. Um, even though my husband was away a lot at work because it was very demanding, we still found time to do things together. Yeah, and you said that there weren't very many children in the village, so it was really thrown upon, you know, you and um, you, if you made some friends, they didn't necessarily have children to Yes, ex- yeah. exactly. And we had American friends as well that would come round and we would go to them as well. Mm-hmm. They had a, a parent co-op as well that was operating at the base where we could we could drop off the children and go and do something if we wanted for a couple of hours or we could stay with them and do activities in the co-op as well Mm -hmm. so it was a a good way it was a good mix that you Mm -hmm. could find something that worked for everybody Mm -hmm. and not it doesn't sound as though there were a lot of places where you could spend money no not in the same way no No, exactly exactly that was good. Yeah. It was good because you had to make the best of where you were and you saw life through different glasses. Mm-hmm. I remember when we moved, we'd been there for six years and so my whole basis of how I started was very Italian. And so coming from a place where on a Monday none of the gas stations opened mm-hmm. and they, they pumped your gas for you, as well, which I wasn't used to. I know in certain states that's it happens there mm-hmm. in the states, but um, I wasn't used to that. But then you just couldn't get gas at all on a Monday unless you went to maybe one or two places, which was really something we had to get used to. And of, of course, lunch was only at certain times. You you couldn't get things twenty four hour. And we moved to Denver, Colorado. And it was just overwhelming Mm -hmm. being able to do everything 24 hours. And even now, after being back for so long, at one o'clock in the afternoon, it feels very strange to be inside a shop. Yeah. Because for so long, it was was just not possible. Well, Melissa, we're going to have to take a quick break. Um, I'm talking to Melissa Avila. She's in England at the moment. She is married to an American, so very similar to me, except I'm in America. And um, she's been talking to us about um, her her life with her three young boys. We've been focusing on, on Italy. And when we come back, we will be talking a little bit about some ideas of what you can do with your five and unders. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Why do I feel so lousy? Why are my medications working? Why can't my doctor figure me out? These are just a few of the questions Dr. Kevin Connors will be exploring in Dr. Kevin Connors Live every Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. 
the author of the book, Help, My Body is Killing Me, solving the connections of autoimmune disease to thyroid problems, fibromyalgia, depression, ADD, ADHD, and more. He'll dig into these and many other conditions to dissect the mechanisms of your problems. Giving God the glory and looking for answers to make you look and feel better, to make you feel whole again. For more on him, his book, and the show, check out UpperRoomWellness.com. Never be satisfied with a diagnosis. There is always a reason behind it. And if you can alter the mechanisms that led you down your current path, we can change your future. It's Dr. Kevin Connors, live, Monday nights at 9, 10 Central, here on Togginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, we're back, and I am going to talk with Melissa about what she is really good at because she has this great radio show, show called Raising Playful Todds, and each week she comes up and helps mothers um, come up with ideas to be more interactive with their children, to play with their children, especially their little ones. And you think, what do I do with my little ones under five? Melissa, what, what do they do? Well, it depends on what you have. I have three wiggly, jiggly boys that were under five. And so that was a big problem for me because as a trained teacher, my training was in the older age range. And I, when I had them in my classroom, they sat still at that point. Mm-hmm. And so now I had these wiggly, jiggly boys that just fell off chairs that wouldn't sit still. And I was, that was a real learning curve mm-hmm. for me to realize that I had to adapt my expectations and be able to fully immerse in what they were doing. And so instead of thinking that they had to sit still, we tried to do activities that used the the action that they had itching to move inside of them. So we did lots of sensory-based activities. Mm-hmm. I was happy for the messy play. When we were living overseas in Italy, we had the tile floors everywhere in the house and we had tile outside on the pavement area as well, the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And so it was very easy cleanup to be able to do it. So we were happy to do any type of messy play type activity. So we would use things that are inside of the house because you have it in plentiful supply, so we just use it. So we would have flour and water and you could do all sorts of swirly stuff. We would use the food coloring that's around to drip and drop and and make shapes and all sorts of things that were there. But not only that, we got creative. I remember my mum used to send me cheese sauce from the UK. Uh I don't know why in particular, maybe I must have asked for it. But if we were cooking something, we would just make up some cheese sauce and you just put a dollop of it on like a cookie sheet. And if they wanted to trace letters, they could trace letters. And because it was kind of warm, that was good. They would, they liked the feel of it. And of course, it's cheese sauce, so you can guess where they put that. You know, mm-hmm. they'd have a little taste mm-hmm. and they'd be happy with that. And so, just with those types of ideas, I developed an ebook called um, Everyday Alphabet Activities, where I used things that we had at home, things like the cheese sauce, things like sugar 
things like flour, things that we have in abundance usually at home. And the children got to practice doing their letters and all sorts of things with it. And it wasn't, it was a process based activity. So yes, they're supposed to maybe draw the shape of an A, but because it's sugar on a cookie sheet, you could just shake it and that letter would disappear and then you could do something else. Mm -hmm. And children will absolutely gravitate to that type of activity and my boys really loved it. So we did sensory activities. Then we did running around the house type activities. Mm -hmm. They're big fans of post-it notes. Mm -hmm. And so I would write things on the post-it notes and stick them all around the house in random places and then send them off to go Mm -hmm. and find them. Mm -hmm. And so when I was heavily pregnant, that was a favorite activity of mine (laughs) because they had the energy and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And so... One of them would do it for the other one or I could put them around the house and then they had to go find their match. So maybe I would say um, go and find a hat and then they would have to go. I'd drawn a picture of a hat somewhere and it was somewhere in the house and the first person to get it. And at the time we we had three stories. So that was a great activity for (laughs) energy Mm -hmm. to be able to do. Um, Other times we've done reading activities where we've just got a book and tried to search for, I don't know, different things inside of the book and then try to find them in other books. So that's object-based again to be able to do that. But I found that those types of activities really worked for the boys Mm -hmm. because they could run around. There was nothing that meant that they really had to sit still unless they were keen to do so. And all that running around seemed to calm them enough that they could sit still to be able to do some activities if they wished to, or they could run around. So I I learned not to be the shh, sit still, shh, sit still, mum, which is what I think I was towards the beginning. Yeah, Yeah. well, yes, that's that's natural, really, because you've gone from a relatively quiet place because you don't have little ones running around all of a sudden you go oh my goodness especially I think you notice it more once you've had your second one because your first one wants more attention I think and so becomes more active perhaps yes no that's true that's true so how old are your boys now um, I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a four-and-a-half-year-old. Oh, okay, so you've still, got, you've still got a little top there. Yeah, I do. I still have my youngest one, and he makes me smile a lot because he's he's very active with what he wants to do. But his brothers, are, they're still active, but nothing like how he they were. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a lot easier now. A couple of years ago, it was a lot harder when they were all very much in that racing around stage Mm -hmm. but um it's it's fun doing the activities with them they like to do creative things and Mm -hmm. put on dress up clothes and come down and the imaginative ideas that they come up with that that they're just fueled with this excitement and this energy and i love it i absolutely love it i'm so glad i've had the chance to be at home with them to Mm -hmm. experience it well they say that boys are very imaginative well, yes, and I, I feel that they've they've really done that. They yeah. they really take on different things, and they give me menus and all sorts of things. I'm like, oh, what are we doing today? And yeah. you're coming to buy these things, and it's all very elaborate. Yeah. Sometimes I feel I have to take notes myself, otherwise yeah. I won't get it right. <laughs> so do you encourage them in the kitchen to cook? Do you let them do the cooking? Yes, absolutely. On a Sunday at lunchtime, that's traditionally their time. They get to choose what 
they're cooking for all of us for lunch. And the nine-year-old is in charge of that with his brothers in tow. Mm-hmm. And they work out what they're doing. Quesadillas are still the favorite food at the right. moment yeah. in the house for, for that. And uh, the youngest one loves to come in and help fetch and carry, pour and scoop and weigh. We have an, a weighing scales where you can see the numbers going up and down, you know, a, a digital mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So he loves to pour it in and try and get the right number to be on there. Yeah. Um, so he does that and he likes to stir. He helps with the pancakes on a Sunday. Yeah. We do pancakes on a Sunday. And so he'll stir all the mixture and tell me when it's time to flip them because he watches the bubbles yeah. until yeah. the big bubbles come because yeah. we do American pancakes. Yeah. The middle one, he likes to eat more than he likes to help <laughs> because he has two brothers, these, his older brother and his younger brother who are very keen in the kitchen. So it can be hard for him to get a look in really. <laughs> So he, but he will, he'll come in and help to do certain things. He's, he likes cakes. He likes to make cakes. I'm not very good at making cakes, but he'll come in and help me ice them. And, Mm -hmm. and we'll always make cakes. And we always say, we'll try and do better next time. But (laughs) you know, in, in England, I've noticed, I know when I was um, younger, the boxed cakes, when I first came to America, I had buying a boxed cake. I, I went, oh, no, that would be horrible because in England they were pretty disgusting. But they're so good here. They're almost like scrap from scratch. And I make a lot of cakes from scratch. But every now and again, I will get, you know, take a box cake because they're really good. And people just presume that I've made them from scratch. And, and um, I say, well, yes, well, I maybe I added extra pieces of chocolate or whatever. But really, it came <laughs> out of a box. But you know, they still don't have that much choice when you go to the grocery store in England when no. it comes to those mixes, do they? No, no, they don't. We, it's not the type of thing that we do here. They have, they have a few, I've noticed, and we have access to a commissary here so we can oh. get American box cakes yeah. and cookies and brownies and all those types of things here. Uh, I still prefer to make our own. It's just, it's funny because I forget when we go elsewhere and the cakes are just amazing. My cakes are very flat and are probably a lot heavier, but that's what everybody's used to in my house. And so we're always amazed at how lovely everybody else's cakes are, but we are completely tolerant of my heavy rock hard, (laughs) shallow cakes. There you go. um, (laughs) All right. So the first time you came to America, I'm going to ask you one of the questions that people always ask me. Um, You know, I was always told, oh, it must have been such a culture shock. And for me, it it was in a good way, though. But when I went back to England this past year, um, for a year, and then came back to America, I realized that there is a huge difference between the cultures because I really used to think, yeah, we speak English, you know, we can understand each other and pretty much got the same kinds of backgrounds and that. And that's not so because I've noticed that the government in England is different. The whole way of living in England is completely different to America. Do you, do you see that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think that we, we raised our children at the beginning. All our foundations were done in another country, living in another country. It's really complicated. I was British living in Italy under an American base. Yeah. 
And so all our foundations were really kind of thrown up in the air. You really noticed differences because there were three very strong differences. You know, the Italians, the Americans and the British were all there vying for our attention and, and comparison. And when we went and lived in the States, we did notice that things were done just differently mm-hmm. and that there were lots of things that the they didn't understand the concept of that we would want to do things in that way because we were European almost because mm-hmm. we'd lived in Italy and they couldn't understand why you would want to do it that way and we couldn't understand why they'd want to do it their way. Mm-hmm. But now coming back to England, because I'm British, people assume that I would know how everything works and all of my children were past four when we've come back here and so there's lots of things I don't understand or know about raising very young children here Mm -hmm. because we weren't here to experience it in the Mm -hmm. same way and so yeah so what would would be one example that you could give then of the differences yeah um well let's see just maybe raising or or things that you would the way you would want to do something and maybe in America they would do it slightly differently or in a different way? Well, the the whole way that we have childcare and universal preschool okay. was something that I hadn't expected mm-hmm. at all to be so different. I don't think it really occurred to me how different each state is. And we went to Colorado and they do things you know, the way that Colorado's do. And we were living in Oregon previously to that. And so it was like, oh, wow, you don't do the same thing because you can move from county to county here in the UK and it'd be the same. Yeah, yeah. And so that was really amazing to see such major differences and how much you had to pay for everything. Mm -hmm. Everything is to do with how much money that you had Mm -hmm. and the amount of debt that parents were prepared to go into for... It's just for the things that we would take for granted mm-hmm. here in the UK. And that really struck me that it was okay to talk about how much debt that you had because it was it was for a purpose and we wouldn't have those types of decisions to make in the UK. No, you're right. You're right. And I, I also notice here that um, people go to their people go to their doctor a lot here because we're we're heavily insured with our health insurance. And I thought that going to England that you would see that people would go to the doctor at the drop of a hat, but they don't. Even though it's free, I don't think people go to their doctors in England nearly as much as they go here in America. No, they don't. No, I, I think the same thing, that they don't do that. And the way in which we ask questions is very different to how they do in the States too. Mm-hmm. When I was, I've had my children in American hospitals and so I was used to that and it was only recently that we had to go into hospital as you do with young children um, in the UK and I found it really strange because I was approaching the doctors and the nurses and asking for certain things and you could just tell that I was doing more than they were used to and I realized like oh right I'm in the UK (laughs) this isn't what we do here because that's it's just different that's right because in America we feel that we have the right to question our doctors yes and I don't think they feel I don't uh, although we probably do have the right to question the doctors in England I think the generation especially my parents generation um, would never question a doctor yes 
Yeah. Yeah. And also I think that um, people, English, I mean, my husband always says to me, well, you know, you're not going to go to the doctor because you've got a sore throat. You're just going to wait a few days and you'll know it'll go away. Whereas Americans tend to go straight to the doctor and we do that. And my young son, when he was six, he said, mom, I could be dying and you still wouldn't take me to the doctor. And I'm thinking, you don't need to go. I know what's wrong with you. You have a cold, you know, you're fine. You don't need to go. So yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're kind of stiff upper lip, I suppose, is what it is, but also yeah. sensible. I mean, I don't like running to the doctor all the time when it's just something yes. that you know that you can deal with yourself. Absolutely. Well, Melissa, it's been an absolute joy talking to you. It's so nice to talk to somebody who actually understand what I'm saying, not just the words, but how I'm saying them. Do you find <laughs> yes. that? Do you find that? Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah and um, I've been talking to Melissa Avila. She has her own radio show. Help me here. Alitza, what's it called? Melissa? Raise, Raising Playful Tots. Okay. And where can we find it? We can find Raising Playful Tots at RaisingPlayfulTots.com mm-hmm. and there you'll find a list of all the shows there. We have over 130 now shows that you can see from experts, from bloggers, from authors, from all sorts of people sharing ideas about how to have fun with our under five-year-old children. Mm, well, if you enjoyed listening to Melissa and me talking today, Go head over there and you've got, a, well, a good 130 some odd shows to go listen to her some more and get to know her some more. Melissa, has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNitty, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriended is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I was talking to Melissa Avila, who shared some really practical ideas about how to keep your under fives amused and not stress out about your house in the process. Melissa has her own weekly radio show, which you can find at www.raisingplayfultots.com. So if you liked what she said, go and join her each week for more. Melissa wants us to make the most of playtime with our lovely Tots Under 5, and she gave us some simple ideas which are fun and tried and tested by her three boys. She's a former teacher and a military wife who specializes in delivering early childhood play information from practitioners and experts 
into the hands of parents and carers to improve their under five play opportunities. She's also a fellow blogger where she shares forgotten play activities, promotes discussion and community and encourages parents to have fun with their children intentionally. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And on the subject of keeping your children loving life as they instinctively do, I set up an environment to suit our family needs right from the beginning. Let's go back for just a moment to the observation made by my brother when I told him I was nixing the television that I hardly ever watched anyway. Instead of relying on the trusty programming in a box, what did we do that made our lives more difficult, in my brother's word? Words, because we refused the services of the stranger in the living room as a babysitter. The challenge was on, one child at a time. Again, we slowly morphed into a family of six who made their own entertainment. We enjoyed recreating in the form of rowdy swimming, dancing to loud music, playing raucous games of charades, making home videos, going out to dinner, performing at the theatre, having people over for a party, and plain old wrestling and tickling matches. There were also times when we introduced our children to the more gentle side of relaxation. We'd sit in the hammock and gaze at the clouds, have lunch in silence under the shade trees in our field, try to count the stars at night, which are very bright deep in the heart of Texas. We also enjoyed watching the leaves fall from trees, moss roses slowly opening in the morning, a butterfly settling on the oleander flowers, a bird diving for a fish in the nearby pond, listening to classical music reading parts of our favourite books to one another, putting together a jigsaw puzzle or learning how to sew. The second thing I introduced into our starter family was second nature for me, as I thrive on stability and routine. Um, Please don't read into those two words, the notion of inflexibility. Even a newborn needs a schedule, a routine. I know a newborn's mother does. I gave, gave us purpose and security, something that we all need. And because I established a routine from birth, our children thrived on knowing what's in store. They love the familiarity of repetition. They're grateful for having lived their whole lives in one place, in one house. Granted, they've changed rooms and beds within that house. But for the most part, if they haven't slept under the same roof all their lives, it's because they chose not to. Some routines were so ingrained on their psyches that they thought everyone did the same thing on Thursdays, change sheets and clean the house. Fridays, cinnamon rolls for brekkies, Saturdays, donuts, and Sundays, mass. One story my oldest tells is of a time a school friend said he'd had waffles for breakfast, to which he indignantly said, what, not cinnamon rolls, it's Friday. Only then did he realize our routine was unique to us, but important. Of course, other routines involved getting up early, their father cooking breakfast, saying prayers at the table, making beds, brushing teeth, pulling out their day-to-days. This last was a canny little tool I used to get them in the mood for school, independently. It was better than a worksheet in that it could be tailored to what they were doing that week, tempered to their age and ability, and lots of fun. It was a 15-minute transition while I gathered my wits before embarking on the homeschool day. I'd write a week's worth of activities in a notebook personally decorated by each child, In it, they would write the date, give the weather and the time. It would be modified to suit the age, but by the time they were able to hold a crayon or a pencil, they had their own day by day. If we were working on a psalm memorization, the older ones would be directed to copy a new verse out. This would entail going to the prayer book or Bible, finding the psalm to transcribe it. 
If the youngest was working on colours, she'd be asked to find ten red things in the house and either draw them or gather them in a pile for me to see. Coming up with ten crunchy foods or things that could roll were ideas that made it to their booklets. One entry for my eight-year-old read, Pinch Punch First of the Month Rabbits, Happy Opening Night. Are you nervous? List reasons to be nervous and reasons not to be. Or find six things in your house you can get into. Or I'd direct them to a book they knew well and ask them to turn to a particular page and draw what they saw on that page and colour it. On their babysitter's birthday, they were instructed to call her, wish her a happy birthday and make her a card. And together we usually made her a cake too. Together we spent a few hours brainstorming and compiling six rotating menus for lunch once, which since we all stayed home was the main meal of the day. These meal suggestions lasted us for years and became their favourite staples. Tacos, sloppy joes, burritos, stew, chicken spaghetti, shepherd's pie, pizza and stroganoff can all be cooked by any one of the children and have become an invaluable legacy for their future kitchens. On Sundays, we'd cook four of the meals slated for the week to save time on the day. And on Friday, we usually ate out, another routine they thought everyone abided by. Always somewhere within our budget, like Cece's Pizza or Burger King, but we never included ourselves in that because I'm not a fan of fast foods. My blue-eyed cowboy and I would cook for ourselves later and developed another routine from which date night emerged and late evening visits to sample our fare. We developed a love of cooking together, especially at holiday time when we could make lemon curd, Christmas puddings and cake, shortbread, pralines, truffles and so many other delicacies like brisket cooked slowly all night with the beefy smell intruding on our dreams, creamy sauces for fish or steaks, individual pizzas made from homemade dough and really anything that can be rustled up out of our well-stocked pantry. All of this home economic activity naturally led to a love of entertaining and the McNinney house grew a reputation for good parties several times a year. Easter and Christmas were the two biggest and are still carried on today. If nothing else, the restriction of television encouraged us to engage one another face-to-face and routine made us good stewards of our time. And talking about being a good steward of my time, it's time for me to leave you for another week. I'm going to be doing some more cleaning and sorting and taking care of myself. Perhaps a nap is in order, although, you know... I can never do that because I always think of other things that I could or should be doing, like going for a walk. I like to do that every day, but then you all know that. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest this week, Melitza Avila, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Rosemary, Kathleen, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Why don't you stay tuned in in all the time to Toginet and catch lots of great shows to glide you through the day. So take care and be safe and have a wonderful weekend. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Number six, verses 24 to 26. Do, 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 do. 
Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.